Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope Christian Center. If you are visiting us for the first time today and joining our service, we are so happy to host you today and so happy to be in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of one another. Uh, this is our gathered assembly. This is the time that we come together to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said that the time has come in which no longer will it be on this mountain or that mountain that we will worship, but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That means location doesn't matter. It is the heart that matters. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so today God is looking at our hearts and he sees that our hearts are open and ready to receive his word. Today I'm gonna to wrap up our justice series that we've been in since the month of June. Uh, the title of this series is Let Justice Flow. And today is the last message in this series. Next week we're gonna start just a short three-part series that's going to be about receiving a new wind of the Holy Spirit, preparing us for the next leg of the journey, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to run uh, in this next leg of the journey. So I'm really, really, really excited about that, but I'm also excited about the word that the Lord has given us for today. And uh, before I go into the word, I'd just like to open us with a word of prayer. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit, that you would give me the wisdom to speak plainly and clearly, and that you would also overshadow my weakness because I often know not how to speak as I ought. Uh, but Father, that you would overshadow my weakness and that you would speak to your children the word that you would have each and every one to hear. I speak blessing and encouragement today in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Psalm chapter 37. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 37, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to give it to you from the old NIV translation. And it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness to shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will do this. He will do this. He will make your righteousness to shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. As we close up this series on justice, on allowing justice to flow, a word of encouragement is in order. And that's what I bring to you today is a word of encouragement. And the reason why we need encouragement is because once you start to walk down the path toward justice, you are going to have to fight depression. I was watching <clears throat> recently uh, an interview with Michelle Obama and she talked about how she's been battling low-grade depression recently as she's looked at the, as she's seen every day the backlash that has flowed out of the presidency of her husband, our first African-American president in the history of this country. And it seemed like such a sign of hope and such a sign of progress, but yet there was instant backlash and, there, and the backlash has continued until this present day. And she talks about how she's dealing with low-grade depression as she sees that backlash. I was reading recently about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and what most people don't know is that in the last couple of years of his life, he battled deep depression. 
And the reason he battled deep depression is because he had this landmark victory, which was the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But immediately following that landmark victory, there was clear and, and severe backlash. And there was an intense backlash against uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And there was an intense backlash against all of his civil rights activities. And by 1967 and 1968, he started to wonder, had he run in vain? Had everything he'd done uh, been for no good as he saw that we actually took steps backward and how uh, racism was given even, even greater vent after what seemed to be such a victory, yeah. right? And there was just this sense that, you know, am I making any progress? And, and I also can attest to feeling that sense of, of, uh, of, of depression and battling that discouragement. Like, as all of these books that I'm reading and everything that I'm learning and all that I'm seeing and, and all of the words that I'm speaking, but I'm also seeing backlash happen on a number of levels. And, and it, I, just the insurmountability of the obstacle that is before me, like this sense that is all of my reading, all of these books that I'm reading and all of these Facebook lives that I'm doing and all of these sermons that I'm preaching, is it doing any good? And, and there's this constant depression that just follows me every day because of the insurmountable nature of the future that I am pursuing. Uh, you know, interestingly, I was thinking about back in February, I was attending a meeting and I honestly was feeling really, really depressed and discouraged in that meeting uh, for uh, for some some very particular reasons and and um, I was supposed to share and and the deeper uh, the closer it got to the time for me to share the deeper the the discouragement uh, started to well up in me and and all of a sudden I get a text message from one of the members of our church and the text message was Psalm forty two verse five and he said Pastor I was praying for you this morning and this is the word the Lord gave me for you and the word said he shall not falter nor be discouraged until he establishes justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his teaching. And I sat there, I read that message and I just cried. I just wept and I felt supernatural encouragement come into me and I, I raised my head and it was time and I began to speak boldly and confidently as the Lord had given me to speak. I have continued to meditate on that verse almost every day through the past few months as I've had to muster the courage to speak. Every time I, I get up to speak, especially if I'm talking about justice, especially if I'm talking about racism, I'm bracing myself for the backlash that's going to come from it. And I'm bracing myself for the sense of powerlessness and for this, the overwhelming sense that, is it doing any good? Is it, is it making a difference? Is it changing anything? And then I look at the stark reality. I begin to look at the statistics and at the history, and I see that we're just as segregated, not only in schools now, but our churches are just as segregated, our neighborhoods are just as segregated, almost as segregated as they were back in 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Uh, the, the disparity, the wealth gap between the African-American community and the Caucasian community in America is just as, as severe as it was uh, back in the 60s. And, and there's so many statistics, there's this modicum of progress that's been made, but there's this statistical reality that we have not made as much progress as we think we've made, especially for individuals like myself who have quote unquote escaped. That if you go back two generations, my, my grandparents, my grandmother and her family, they lived in the projects, they lived in the ghetto. Two generations later, I'm here. 
And, and I could take from that that we've made progress, but in reality, the small uh, percentage of us that have made progress does not do away with the fact that the majority of African Americans are still as poor as they've ever been and still as trapped as they've ever been and that there, has, there is still much progress that needs to be made. And so there's this whole sense of, of, of discouragement and like this overwhelming sense of on top of all of that, the burden of feeling like we still have to convince people that this is true. That, that the majority of America still does not even believe that those things are true. And, and so we not only have to fight the backlash of, of uh, uh, you know what I mean, of, of trying to fight for these things, but, but even trying to convince people that this is actually the case. And so there seems to be this insurmountable burden, this insurmountable burden. I want to talk to you this morning about Moses, and I was reflecting about the call of Moses this morning and how when God called Moses in Exodus chapter 3, yeah. he created the first revolutionary. He called someone, a man, to speak truth to power and to stand before, perhaps at that time, the most powerful man in the world with nothing behind him but a call from God with zero political power, with zero influence, with zero clout, with, with zero might, simply a call from God. And then when God called Moses and said, go stand before Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. He was calling Moses to believe in an impossible future. And what I want to propose to you today is that every call of God upon every life is a call to believe in an impossible future. And that every step of the way in obeying God, in pursuing the fulfillment of his calling upon your life, you are going to have to look in the face of impossibility each and every day. And the depression and the discouragement comes when the enemy comes to whisper in your ear and say, it's not going to happen. You're wasting your effort. You're wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. This future is impossible. May I say to you today that God never, ever calls a man or a woman to pursue that which is possible. He does not, it's not worth his time to call you to a possible future. Yeah. It is not in keeping with his nature to call you to a possible future. If the odds are not impossible, God will have nothing to do with the situation. Yeah. He will not call you to that which would otherwise be anyway if just left to its own. If he calls you, he calls you to an impossible future. Moses... Here's what I want you to do. I want you to journey all the way down to Egypt. I want you to burst into Pharaoh's court unannounced. Uh -huh. yeah. And all I want you to do is hold this stick. Yeah. And with this stick, you're going to make Pharaoh let the, the Israelites go. You're going to demand freedom for generational captives. You're going to demand justice for generationally oppressed peoples. And you're going to do it with a stick. 
Now watch this. Moses, of course, we all know the story there in Exodus chapter 3, how Moses has this conversation with God and he resists and he feels like he's unqualified and he feels like he's unprepared and he feels like he doesn't have the smarts, he doesn't have the education. And by the way, he's right about all of those things. What he simply is failing to recognize and struggling to realize in that moment is that the call of God transcends all of those things that Moses thinks that he lacks. Because when God calls you to an impossible future, he promises to be the one who brings that future to pass. And the reason why we feel pressure and the, we the reason why we are oppressed by the impossible is because we feel personally responsible to bring it about. And we get discouraged because we realize on a continual basis that we have zero power to bring about that which God calls us to pursue. That is to answer the call of God on your life and to pursue any destiny worth pursuing. You must embrace the impossible as a friend and pursue it with all of your might. And in the course of speaking to your mountain, at some point your mountain's going to start speaking to you. Justice is behind every call of God. Can you think of one call of God in Scripture that was not about pursuing justice? It was always about bringing about justice. Even the people of God, even Abram's call to get out of his father's house and go to the place that God would show him, God was bringing about a people of justice. And even Moses, the climax was not just bringing Israel out of Egypt and bringing them to the Red, through the Red Sea and to Mount Sinai, but he gave them the law. And what was the law about? Administering justice. Here's how to do justice. That is, salvation existed because justice did not. And so, Moses, you follow him into Exodus chapter 5. And he goes down to Egypt. And he goes into Pharaoh's court. And he demands what God tells him to demand. Tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And Moses goes. And he's thinking, you know, I got this call of God and I had this burning bush experience and I'm filled with the power of God and I've got all of this confidence because God and, and I've got these miracles to perform and I got this stick. And God told me with this stick, with this stick, you're going to defeat the, 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 the Egyptians and they're going to let my people go. Take the stick. I got the stick. I got the call. I've got, I've got the miracles. I got the presence of the burning bush. I've got everything I need. And now he's got his confidence and he goes in and first he meets with the elders of Israel and he tells them, hey, you guys are going to love this. God told me to go tell Pharaoh to let you guys go. And here's what's about to happen. I'm about to walk up in Pharaoh's court. I'm about to tell him what God told me to tell him. I'm about to work some miracles up in that piece. And Pharaoh is going to let you guys go. It's going to work, I promise you. And when the Israelites heard that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had visited Moses and made him this promise, they bowed to the ground and they worshiped. They were so excited. And then they went with Moses into the, the presence of Pharaoh and they thought it was going to be a linear journey. Yeah. They thought Moses was going to speak at once and it was going to be. Yeah. 
And Moses, he lifts up the stick and he says, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord and I don't know you and neither will I let his people go. Matter of fact, since you want to play, let's play. Tell them they got to make their own bricks now. But their quota is not going to drop, not even a single brick. And immediately there was backlash. Backlash not just against Moses, but against the, the impossible future that God had called him to pursue. That is, when Moses first set out to pursue justice on behalf of the people of God, injustice increased. The pursuit of justice always initially results in the increase of injustice. There's always a backlash. And now not only does the backlash come from Pharaoh's court, which number one, Moses was not prepared for, but the backlash came from the people of Israel themselves. And now everyone is calling Moses a fraud. And I was reading this prayer that Moses prays at the end of Exodus chapter 5, if I can find it. And uh, this is what he says in Exodus 5.22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? Yeah. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Yeah. <laughs> Moses is saying, Lord, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I don't get it. You, you said that if I come down here and tell them to let my, God's people go, but what Moses forgot is that God told Moses already at the burning bush, you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but he's not going to do it unless a mighty hand compels him. And Moses, you are not that mighty hand. Because see, that's the thing. Whenever God puts a calling on my life, I want to be the mighty hand that compels justice. Lord, empower me. And God never lets me be the mighty hand. He always distinguishes the messenger from the power that fulfills the message. The messenger speaks the message, but the power to fulfill it does not lie within the messenger. The power that to fulfill it always resides within God and God alone. He does not delegate deliverance to anyone. Moses was not the great deliverer. Moses was the great messenger. God was the great deliverer. And that's what God told Moses already in the burning bush experience. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And I have heard the groaning of my people in Egypt. I've seen their misery. I'm concerned for them. And I have come down to rescue them. The hardest thing about pursuing any destiny that God has set over your life is that we have such a triumphalist view of destiny that any picture of destiny that does not end with my personal success 
feels like personal failure. And when I see MLK struggling with this, what I see him beginning to realize at the end of his life that the most powerful thing that he would ever accomplish with his life was not his speech, but the giving of his life. I mean, if you think about it, that's really what the gospel is all about. If you think about it, that's really what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. Because Jesus did many things when he walked among us. He taught parables and he gave teachings and he rebuked money changers and he blessed children and he walked on water and he fed the 5,000 and he healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers and he cast out demons and he, he, he made, gave sermons and teachings and he did all these wonderful things. But the most powerful thing that he did to bring about our salvation was give his life on the cross which is counterintuitive, isn't it? Because the most powerful thing that he did to him was experienced as the most powerless thing. And so you and I have to embrace the truth that in order to pursue God's impossible future, we gotta be willing to lay down our lives Sometimes the thing that feels like it didn't work, that's the thing that worked. MLK was not universally accepted when he was alive. By the time of his death, his approval rating was somewhere around 40%, I believe it was. But you ask his approval rating now, everybody loves him now. He becomes a symbol of... of freedom of progress but only after he laid down his life sometimes you have to fail in order for your cause to succeed Isaiah chapter I'm sorry Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says of Jesus that through the eternal spirit he offered himself unblemished to God I want you to understand what that means that the anointing of the Holy Spirit empowered him to heal the sick. The anointing of the Holy Spirit empowered him to raise the dead. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit enabled him to, to cure diseases and to cause the lame to walk and the blind to see. In other words, whenever the Holy Spirit came upon him, the Holy Spirit gave him power to do something powerful. But Hebrews 9.14 says, Through the eternal Spirit, he offered himself unblemished to God, meaning that the most powerful thing that the Holy Spirit empowered him to do was die. Wow. A Holy Spirit empowered death. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is speak a word to someone who doesn't want to hear it. A word that for all intents and purposes fails, that no one receives, that no one believes that maybe is completely cast aside in your own lifetime. 
Maybe the most powerful thing that God has set for you to do is to fight for something that nobody wants, to fight for, uh, for something that nobody sees or nobody understands. Maybe it's the testimony that God wants to leave behind that's more powerful than your own life. I was reading in Revelation 11 and I'm preparing, I'm doing a series on the book of Revelation in the fall that I'm, I'm really gearing up for and getting excited about, but I'm reading in Revelation 11 about the two witnesses. And these two witnesses stood and they prophesied and they spoke out against the people and the people came to fight against them, but fire came out of their mouths and consumed the people. But at a certain point, the power of God stopped protecting the two witnesses and the people fought against them and killed them. And then everybody rejoiced that the witnesses were dead and they had a festival and they sent gifts to one another. But after three days, the breath of life entered into the two witnesses and they rose up and they began to speak again and the people were terrified. And then the, the two witnesses were lifted into heaven before their very eyes. And then later on, the, the chapter explains that those two witnesses represent the prophets and the saints. It's the testimony of the prophets. That's the first witness. And the testimony of the saints. That's the second witness. The prophets represent those who are called to directly speak and to proclaim the truth of God, to speak truth to power, to declare justice where there is injustice. But the saints represent those who are called to live it. Yeah. That is, the prophets bear witness with their words. The saints bear witness with their lives. But both of them are called to be witnesses. And at a certain point, it seems as if the hedge of protection is removed. Wow. At a certain point, it seems as if we're allowed to fail. God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, if you've called me to speak these words, how come nobody wants to hear them? Yeah. If you called me to read and to study these books, why? Yeah. I still have this drive to pursue this and to study this, but I don't know what to do with it, and I don't know where this is going, and I don't know what's coming next, and I, I'm feeling so disappointed and so discouraged because every time there's a plague and it seems like the eyes of the Egyptians are going to open and they're going to see that God is all about this justice thing, the backlash comes right after. Can't you see that God is about justice and he's going to do this thing? Yeah. But God did not tell Moses at the beginning of the journey that there would be 10 plagues. Yeah. For all Moses knew, there could have been 20 or 100 plagues. Yeah. The responsibility of Moses was to walk through the backlash and keep on speaking. Plague one, they don't get it, backlash, speak it again. Plague two, they don't get it, backlash, speak it again. Plague three, they don't get it, backlash, speak it again. Plague four, they don't get it, backlash, speak it again. There's something about that persistence. Speak it again, speak it again, speak it again, speak it again, declare it again, believe it again, believe it again. But where does Moses get the strength? Where does Moses get the encouragement? I mean, I would have probably given up after the fourth backlash. God, obviously plagues are not enough. Where does Moses get the strength? Where does he get the encouragement? Where does he get the stamina? Where does he get the wisdom? Where does he get the power? Where does he get the courage? You know where he gets it from? Every time there's a disappointment, every time there's a discouragement, every time there's a perceived failure, he runs back to the Lord. He runs back to his closet. And what I love about that, that passage there and at the end of Exodus 5 is that when he runs to the Lord, he tells the Lord the truth. 
He tells them exactly how he feels. You told me you were going to deliver them, but you haven't done it at all. Notice Moses is being honest with God. He's telling God, he's lamenting before the Lord. God, you haven't done it. You haven't showed up the way you promised that you would show up. God, what am I supposed to do? And then God comes and says, now you go to the Israelites and say, I am the Lord and I will bring you out of the house of bondage and I will lift you up with an outstretched arm with a mighty hand and I will bring you into the land that I promised, that I swore on oath to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses says, why would they believe me? Since I speak with a stammering tongue and God says, go say it again. And Moses, he stays in that encounter with God until he receives the strength and courage to go speak it again. But now each time it's harder because now he goes back to the Israelites and he delivers to them the words of the Lord, but they don't believe him because of their discouragement. And now Moses, there's never so lonely a place for the prophet of God as when God calls you to speak a word that nobody believes. When God calls you to speak a word that the people around you are just too weary, that half the people are too weary with failure to receive it. And the other half don't even believe it. But yet God says, speak it again. Speak it again. And I'm not saying this to to have a pity party and say, that's me. I'm Moses and none of y'all believe me. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm saying that's you. That each and every one of you are in a place where God has put a calling on your life. And I can feel the discouragement in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart. It's so heavy. It's so deep that the enemy has been lying to you and calling you a failure and telling you that you're not going to accomplish anything and that your life doesn't amount to anything. The enemy has been lying to you and that depression and that discouragement is so deep and so heavy. But today, the word of the Lord is coming to break that discouragement from over your life today. God is coming to discourage, to encourage you today and say, I am the Lord. And I will bring you up out of the house of bondage and into the land that I swore to your fathers. I'm telling you today that there are two immutable truths by which it is impossible for God to lie. God has come today to break your discouragement. And when discouragement breaks, all of, the sudden we, all of a sudden, we are given the power. We want the power to do, to fix. But God wants to give us the power to believe. To look into the face of the present and face the fact of where it is while simultaneously believing for God's promised impossible future. And there is an impossible future that God has promised. An impossible future that God has an impossible future that God has promised and he will bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. You're struggling because you feel like you see what nobody else sees. You're struggling because you feel like all of my effort is coming to nothing. But I'm telling you All things are possible to him who believes. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, 
to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You know what that means? Let me just cut through all of that and tell you what it means. It means this. God already sees the end from the beginning. He's already charted the course. And at the end of the day, he is the God of justice. And the one who by his own might and his own power will bring forth the justice that he has promised. When we say let justice flow, God is the one who sends the flow of justice. We simply open our arms to receive it and we open our arms to receive it by faith. Because you know what happens in the absence of faith when discouragement starts to set in? I start to burn with anger. I start to brood with bitterness. And I can't escape it. And what cuts through all of that is faith. Faith does not deny the present. It does not deny the current state of things. Neither does it overlook a multitude of offenses. It does not cease to demand justice. It simply has the power in the midst of its persistent demands for justice to believe for a brighter future. And MLK taught us to do that, didn't he? He said, I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. He had been to the mountaintop and he spoke to us as a prophet on that day. And he said, I may not get there, there with you, <laughs> but I've seen it. Even if I don't get there, I've seen it. Even if my own words don't bring it about, I've seen it. Even if my own actions don't produce it, I've seen it. Because at the end of the day, it's not the power of Moses, and it's not the power of MLK, and it's not the power of Benjamin, and it's not the power of you. It's the power of God that brings it about. It doesn't have to happen through my life. But I know that God is the God who brings it to pass. And so as you pursue your destiny in God, the destiny that God has placed over your life to pursue justice, to establish justice in the earth, in whatever way he has called you to do so, I speak the encouragement of the Lord to look into the impossible future that God has set before you and to believe it and even to begin to live in it by faith. I speak blessing and let's just bow our heads and pray right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak your blessing over your sons and daughters today. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen and encourage each one as they pursue the God-ordained destiny that you have set before. Father, I thank you that you are with us right now. I pray for those who are discouraged right now that you would release supernatural encouragement. I just break the back of that depressive spirit and for some of you right now, that depression in order to overcome it, that discouragement in order to overcome it, you need to run into the arms of Jesus. Because if you're not walking with Jesus, you're fighting this fight in your own strength and in your own power. And let me tell you, my brother, my sister, you can't fight that fight alone. It's going to crush you. 
without Jesus, without the strength that he provides, you've got to carry this weight, this burden of this quest for freedom on your own. Let me tell you something, you can't carry it. It's too heavy for you. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so I invite you to open your heart, to let Jesus in, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, and to receive his strength, his encouragement, and his power. Would you just pray this prayer with me? If you're able and willing and ready to do that right now, would you pray this prayer? Just say, Father, I come to you and I open my heart. Jesus, come into my heart and strengthen me. Lift the burden from my soul. The burden of living after my own way. In my own power and through my own wisdom. Today, I commit my way to you and I trust in you and I believe the promise that you will do this. You will make my righteousness to shine like the dawn. The justice of my cause like the noonday sun. But Lord Jesus, I surrender my cause to you. Give me your cause. I surrender my passion to you. Give me your passion. And I surrender my future to you. Show me your future. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you opened your heart to Jesus for the first time, I just want you to drop a note in the chat and say, I prayed the prayer. That's all I'm asking you to say is I prayed the prayer. We just want to know that you prayed the prayer for the first time, that, or maybe you recommitted your life to Jesus here today, but just, just let us know that you prayed the prayer because we want to pray for you. We want to strengthen you. We want to encourage you. We want to walk with you. We are so thankful for you today, and we believe that God has a powerful and mighty work to do in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.